LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Good morning and welcome to another episode of EST. My name is Josh King and this is the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. On the other line is Micah Freeze, my good friend, longtime friend. Micah Freeze, how are you today? Longtime friend. You said uh, you said good morning though. What happens if they're listening to this podcast at night? I don't know. <laughs> I, I there was my brain just stopped. I had no idea how to do a, a greeting all of a sudden because we're recording this at, on Monday morning after long Sundays. So after we're both, we're both a little tired. Both of us preaching. How many times do you preach on Sundays? I preach three times on Sundays. Three times. And, taught, and then I taught for an hour and a half yesterday afternoon too. So and then we both had Super Bowl parties at our houses with other That's people. Correct. Yeah. So we are wore out. Yeah, I think we finally. I, yeah, we wrapped it up about 11.30 last night. Whoa. Because we're no, Eastern we were, time zone, too. Yeah, no, I had everybody out. The house was clean, doors locked, kids in bed, and I was crawling into bed at 9.30. So I actually I pushed them all out. I did an old man thing. I'm like, y'all You are leave. officially a bum. You can leave. I'm going to bed. <laughs> now, that's Central Time, 9.30. Yeah, that's Eastern was a little rough, and we had a little more, I think, probably to clean up. We Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah it so. a while. And my wife actually cleaned up a little. I helped her for a while, and then I, I had had a rough Saturday physically, and so I was just crashing. So she sent me to bed, and she cleaned up a little bit more than that. The thing that you taught after the after you preached, yeah. what was mm-hmm. that? Yeah, so um, we have some uh, former career missionaries in our church who are teaching a small group of all women who are interested in moving overseas and living on mission. Wow. And so they're working through a study over a series of weeks, and they asked me to teach a couple of weeks. And so I rarely turn down an opportunity to teach our church members about mission. And Mm. so, yeah, so that's what that was. Now, have you ever been in a setting, uh, one of your pastorates, in which you led a small group? And all of my pastorates have led a small group, I think. Well, Are you doing maybe it now the, at the very first one. Yeah, I'm doing one now at Brainerd. Really? But, so, so we'll talk through this a little bit. I actually think the pastor should ultimately not lead a small hmm. group, but I'll talk you through why I do and why I'm doing it now and why I've done it in the past. Yeah, so if you are listening along, we are going to talk about small groups today. There's a million different things. I, I just going off to begin with, I think it's helpful to define your terms. So. We've had shows about this before. I am one of those who that just calls it all small groups. Just the big title is small groups. There are different sort of fleshing out of that, Sunday school, life group, home group, all of those. But we put it under the umbrella of smaller groups. I do understand, though, that for some people in some cultures, not like foreign cultures, like cultures in the United States, different churches, um, small groups has an actual definition and a connotation to it. So... Yeah, I would use the term groups. Okay. I would yeah. just call them groups. Um, and I would say that uh, every church has, uh, basically, there are a few, I've heard of very, very few exceptions, but there are a few exceptions out there that don't have any form of group at all. But they are a very, very, very tiny minority. But yeah, the groups can be missional home communities, life groups, small groups, um, Sunday school class. And 
today, the you know, when, when I was at Lifeway Research, we did the largest research project ever done in North America on groups ministry in the church. And mm-hmm. we found that by far, Sunday school is still the dominant expression of groups in most churches. Wow. By far. It's not even close. So I think that we're going to get into some how-tos and how we do things, um, both of us, Brainerd and Second. But let's just kind of give people, you know, I find that our listeners really find it helpful when we give them some uh, benchmarks. So is there a benchmark of a healthy church? How many people from your worship service will be in your small group or your Yeah, I think, so let's say this, Josh. I think it depends on your strategy as a church. Okay. If if your front door of your church, and for most churches in America, the front door of the church is the worship service, then um, your life groups, small groups, your groups ministry is going to look a little different. If, however, you happen to have a church where your groups ministry is the front door of your church, and there are still a few of those churches that do that, they tend to be churches that are older and more traditional, by the way. Really? Uh, churches, yeah, that have a larger Sunday school ministry than they do their worship ministry. Um, then that's going to look a little different. If your if your front door of your church is your group's ministry, then <clears throat> excuse me, then you're you're going to want to see your group's ministry larger than your worship attendance. By the way, uh, there is a, an extremely well known church and pastor that is well known because they're a very large church who almost nobody knows that groups are the front door of their church. And I've given I've been so vague, you probably have no idea who I'm talking about. I don't. <laughs> but it's Saddleback. Uh, Saddleback, last time I checked, their group's ministry was about double the size of their worship attendance. I think I did know that just from reading um, Purpose Driven Student Ministry back when Yeah, I, I believe, and it's been a few years since I've looked, so I, admittedly, I'm a little rusty on this, but I, mm-hmm. last time I checked, they had the largest group's ministry in America um, at Saddleback. And yet everybody thinks of them as sort of the big seeker-sensitive worship environment sort of church. Uh, but aside from them, there are some older First Baptist-type churches that I've run across that have larger Sunday schools than um, than worship services. Sometimes it's healthy. Sometimes it's because they're mad at the pastor, and they just will go to Sunday school, and they won't come to church. And, they leave. <laughs> and I've seen that as well. Uh, but I would say if your church is the predominant majority and the worship service is the front door of your church, my in my estimation, about 75% a group's ministry to worship attendance is the healthy place you want to be. And, and here's why. If you're much higher than that, it's likely that you don't have very many guests in your church. Um, you know what I mean? Because I if do, you're, yeah. yeah, if you're higher than that, it means that the majority of the people coming to worship are also coming to life groups, which means they're integrated into the life of your church, which means they're not new. And so when you get a whole lot higher than 75%, maybe 80, 85%, you get higher than that, then you, you might have a problem with not receiving new guests in the church. If you get lower than that, then you're not assimilating your people real well. And I'll just be real honest with you, Brainerd is lower than that. It's one of the Mm -hmm. things we've been working on since we've been here. And there are a number of reasons for that. We can talk through that in a minute. But 75%, I think, is a good benchmark if your worship uh, worship service is your front door of your church. So do you know what uh, Brainerd is? Yeah, we've been running uh, between 55 and 60% since I've been here. And that has bumped up. We actually just in the month of January had um, the highest attended January for life groups. We call them life groups at Brainerd. And January was the highest attended January in the history of the church and the second highest attended month in the history of the church. So uh, we've started this year with a bang. We're really excited. We're still, uh, well, let's see. I'll have to do the math real quick. I actually have the numbers up in front of me. So let's see here if I take just last week as an example. Yeah, we were still at 58% last week, and that's with 
one of the highest attended weeks we've ever had in life groups. And so part of that is because our worship attendance is growing at a fairly good rate. Right. And so our life groups are having a hard time catching up and staying sure. caught up. Because, you know, giving in life groups, giving in groups ministry, give, giving in Sunday school, those two things usually take about six months to catch up with guests who are attending your church on a regular basis. So true. So I think that's helpful for our listeners, for me as well, that sometimes a pastor can beat himself up about a lower percentage, but there may be some factors that show that that's actually a healthy thing at that point in your church. Yeah, I would so. say that ours is not healthy. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't say ours is healthy, but I would say it's explainable. Mm-hmm. And um, I, we can understand why it is. And so right. we need to fix it, and we're working towards fixing it. And it's better than it was a year ago, um, but we've you know we've still got a little ways to go. Cool. Very good. And um, the other thing I'm curious about before we get into the nuts and bolts is the whole controversy of splitting or launching. How, how do you think through that? Starting I, think, I think the answer is yes, On both but I, th- I think you need to use different language. Okay. I don't use split. I don't use divide. I don't mm-hmm. use that language at all. We use multiply. Okay. We want to multiply life groups. Um, and this is semantics to some degree, but it does matter. I mean, the way you present this matters to your church. If you and you ask them to split or you ask them to divide, that's an, a, an, a net loss in their mind, right? We're mm-hmm. losing these folks. If you're building a sending culture in your church, then multiplication is what you want to happen at every level, whether it's your group's ministry, whether it's in your worship services, new people coming to faith, baptism, sending out on mission, all of those things. Then it's a normal part of the ethos of your congregation. We are a multiplying family. And mm. so we want to use the multiplication language when it comes to groups in our church. We are multiplying into new groups, but we're also starting new groups. Uh, and, and part of it, I would say part of it depends on your growth, Josh. If you've got decent growth, then because in my opinion, multiplying groups and starting new groups happen, happen for different reasons. Okay. Generally speaking, multiplying groups happens because the existing groups are growing too large. For their room or for it community. It doesn't matter for their room. I don't care okay. their room. It's for community. And, and right. I would say, generally speaking, you want to be 20 is probably on the high end of where you want your groups to be. And that's that's not a hard and fast rule. You can fudge in different ways. And there may be certain classes or groups that maybe that doesn't apply to. We've got some classes here at Brainerd that are much larger than that that we're not going to change, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, some of our oldest members have one of our largest classes. We're not going to change that. It would right. be more detrimental to change it than it would be helpful. But as a general rule, I'm looking at that 20 number saying, all right, when we get groups that are over 20, we want to begin thinking about how we help them to multiply. But you also have to build in some models ahead of time to do that. Do you require your leaders in your groups to be multiplying leaders in the groups? Because you can't multiply without more leaders. Well, you you need some intentionality in the development of leaders to be able to be prepared to multiply. And so you've got to be thinking five steps before you get to the multiplication stage, before you're ready to multiply. And, uh, and, and that's not easy. So multiplication happens because the groups are expanding beyond what they should for the development of capacity of, of community and effective learning and that sort of thing. Hmm. With that said, then um, starting new groups happens, in my opinion, often because you're bringing new people into the life of the church. Right. And you need new and increased numbers of opportunities for them to connect in community. And so I don't, I mean, they, there can be overlapping reasons why you would multiply and why you would launch new, but I think sure. generally speaking, they're a little bit different. I like it. I like it a lot. Last thing, last thing before we, you've got uh, some models to look at is, uh, you want to know my biggest pet peeve about groups? What is it? Tables. 
Those things drive me crazy because <laughs> everybody wants them, and then your group grows, and they want different tables, and then they want this More table, tables. and they want the round tables or the straight. And I'm always just like, get rid of the tables. But where are we going to put our coffee? In your yeah. hand. In, in your, your hands, mouth. on the floor beside. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that one of the ways to fix that, and, and we'll get into this here in a minute. We call them life groups at Brainerd. Our life groups meet on Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour and also off campus during the week in the evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when the, the last church I was at where we tried to move to a small group model in addition to Sunday school, we tried to have two separate things. So we had Sunday mm-hmm. school and Sunday morning, and we had, we called them community groups off campus. And I realized that that was a really bad idea, and so we brought them all under the same umbrella. And uh, we just say when and where don't matter, what matters. So we, yep. we don't care when you meet. We don't care where you meet. We care what you do when you meet, right? So that's the okay. thing. With that said, that's one of the values with creating a lot of these off-campus groups because they're infinitely expandable. Right. You, you, you don't have to care about the square footage of your facility. It doesn't cost you anything in terms of utilities. And it makes it a lot easier in terms of logistics. You're not the one having to figure out, do we have tables? Do we have chairs? I mean, everybody's just hanging out in the living room. By the way, that'll also fix your size issue because you don't, very few people have in their home space to hold a 75 person life group. Right. They just can't do it. Well, I think you bring up two things here that I run into a lot is this whole, there's a lot of people that are kind of, I guess they're kind of stuck in between and they're at a church that has maybe antiquated groups model and they want to add something. They want to supplement that. So they're trying to get all of their people to do two different groups. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think that's wise. I don't think that works. The other thing yeah. that you mentioned there, which I think a lot of people are curious about, is um, I find that off-campus groups don't really work outside of the young um, professionals, the, the no kids. So young professionals and young uh, investors. I profoundly disagree. What do you do with the kids? Everybody asks that. It's the easiest solution in the world. Here's why it's the easiest solution in the world. What is it? Because everybody in your church who has kids, they figure out solutions for their kids when they want to do other stuff. But... Right? So here's the thing. So this is not hard. I've done this when I had very young kids, and now I'm doing it when I have teenagers. When we did, when we had very young kids, we would ask every couple to bring three or four dollars or five dollars each week when they would come, and we'd hire one of the teenagers to just hang out with the kids in a different area of the house than we were meeting in. So right? what now, about liability? What about liability? So is there any any is Brainerd or the church liable for what goes on in those homes? Yeah, that's a question and it and it appears to be something of a gray area. Right. But um, all I can tell you is in the years I've been doing it we've not had an issue with that. So childcare at our church at your church at most of the church yeah. of our listeners is extremely vetted. But yeah, then you get into right. these home group models, and they're not um, yeah. usually. Um, they're not. But here's the other reality too: like the way we do it, we've done it in our house. The um, the kids are in the home with us. Sure. They may be in a different room beside us, but kids are often popping in and out of the meeting while we're meeting with the parents, while we're mm-hmm. meeting with moms and dads. Just hey, this so and so's crying, or you know, so and so needs us to navigate something. But because it's such a relaxed, casual environment, it's not like we're in a lecture series where sure. kids can't pop in and out. So I mean, the sure, I mean, there's always risk when someone's watching your kids, mm-hmm. but the risk is mitigated. In that they're not separate from the parents, and they're to the degree that we're not aware of what's happening in right. the same room as there's them. like 18 parents in the yeah. room. Yeah, but again, I mean, we're also you know our life groups are like five or six couples, and like right now, what happens? I mean, we have uh, the, we run the gamut in our life group right now. My daughter is the probably the oldest one that's present when we meet, and she's 15, and the youngest one is. Um, 
you know, probably three or four years old. Mm-hmm. But they're all kind of, we don't even pay anyone to do it now. I mean, our kids just watch each other. They play outside or they play in another room while we're Let meeting. me ask you one And the way we do our, our group at our house is we mm-hmm. hang for an hour and we kind of study for an hour. And that to us is, it's more time than it does on a Sunday morning. But that's in, super important in our mind because we're trying to build community. And it works super well. It's very casual. If our study gets cut short a little bit one week because some of the kids just are in the room, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not... It's just a different environment, and uh, and we found it to be very conducive for building community and studying the Word. What about this? I hear people say this, and this is probably – I don't think there's anything at all wrong with what you're doing there. One of the reasons, though, that we are just adamant about the on-campus groups is that um, this, this feeling of I want my kids – of the various ages, kind of what you described there, your 15-year-old, 3-year-old, et cetera, to be in age-appropriate Bible studies while I'm in one as well, not just. So do you take your 15-year-old to a separate small group at some other yeah. time? Yeah, so there. So this is the way our life group does it is most of our life group volunteers on Sunday morning during the hour when their kids are serving in life group, and then we go to worship, and then we have our life group on Sunday evenings at my house. Okay. Yeah, it's really simple. But but again, like parents always have a solution for finding a way to ha- to take care of their kids when it's something they want to do. Absolutely, yeah. That's never a problem. Like I, when people come to me and say, well, what do we do about our kids? Well, I don't know. What do you do about your kids when you want to go out to eat? Or what do you do with your kids when you want to go to a concert or a football game? Right. I mean, you, you find solutions. If this matters, then you'll find solutions. Now, the, the key here is just letting the um, more mature folks in the class help make sure that the child care is taken care of so that those new folks, when they walk in the door, don't have to feel responsible for it, at least until they're a part of the community. Right. But anyway, so, I mean, it's all about living as faithful followers of Jesus in community together, right? And that's mm-hmm. a good segue to my friend, Robbie Gallaty, who um, is written a brand new book. It's called Here and Now, Thriving in the Kingdom of Heaven Today. I love this book, and I hope uh, that you guys, or I love the idea behind this book. I got it last week. I'm just getting started getting digging into it. I've been talking to Robbie about it for a few months while he was writing it. I'm really excited about this book, and I hope that you will grab a copy of this book as well. It's available uh, now on you know everywhere where you can normally buy books. But uh, here and now, thriving in the kingdom of heaven today, what does it mean to live as a kingdom resident right now before the kingdom of God is finally sort of culminated after Jesus returns? Uh, and Robbie is sharp and really knows what he's talking about, and so I really hope you guys will uh, take a minute and grab the book. Got, got my copy right here in my hand as we speak, and I'm, I'm excited to dig into it as well. So Mine's sitting right beside my bed where I read it in the evenings. I love it. So let's move. Let's shift gears. We've talked about a lot of like what ifs or how do you do. I think that's very helpful. But um, share with me a little bit about kind of what you guys have thought through with small groups. Yeah. So let me let me just talk through a little bit about some, some of the data from the research that we mm-hmm. did when I was at Lifeway that we figured out about groups. And uh, this is important. This is so significant. First, I, I call groups ministry in the church the wild, wild west of the church. Right. Okay. There's no there's no sheriff in town. Everybody does what they want to do. And um, we found that a majority of evangelical churches in North America, the person who chooses what the group is going to study is the group leader with no input from the pastors and or staff. That's the hmm. majority of churches in North America. And so most of the people listening to this right now probably are in a church where that's the context. And, and that scares uh, me. Okay, it should scare you because okay, good, good. life change happens at a higher rate in small groups than it does even in, our, in and through our preaching. 
Mm. right? So our smaller groups are a more conducive environment to life change than our preaching is. So if that's the case, let me ask you this and our listeners this. How many of us would gladly on Sunday morning stand up and say, who's got something they want to say from the pulpit and then just give our pulpit for 30 minutes every week to whoever wants to say whatever they want? Most well, would not. Yeah, of course we're not going to do that, right? We're going to fence the pulpit. But the the small group environment is even more effective at producing life change than the pulpit is, and yet we essentially do that exact same thing every week. We let them, you know, go and say whatever they want to say. And, and so I, I would say a couple things. Number one, you need to know why your groups exist. And the truth of the matter is very, very few people have clarified why their groups exist, Josh. So w- when we did research, and this is not exhaustive, but we found that some of the dominant reasons why groups existed in most churches were either for the building of community, mm-hmm. um, what we, you know, going deep in the word, biblical exposition, kind of verse by verse, going deep into the word. Uh, or mission, mission was another one that, and, and there are other reasons beyond that. But those were the dominant reasons why people would um, would ha- say that their life groups exist. And if you were to ask me as a young pastor, why did groups exist in my church? I would have said all of those things, right? I want to go deep in the word, build some community, reach out to my neighbors. Uh, what we found is the groups that were very clear and that specified a singular purpose for their group were the ones that were faithful and effective at creating maturing believers and the groups that tried to be all of those things didn't faithfully produce maturing believers that's fascinating it's really now now hang on i'm going to take it up another level and and i want you to think about this that purpose for your groups should complement but not mirror the purpose for your worship services okay and this is tricky so let's just take exposition going deep in the word right Mm -hmm. so those of us who may want to have a worship environment where we preach 40 minutes of verse by verse exposition and that's kind of what we want to do we want to teach our people the word in our worship services we have a tendency to then want to do the same thing in our life group environment or in our sunday school environment all right let's grab the bible and let's go verse by verse for 40 minutes in the life group or, or sunday school class or small group and what we found is though that seems we get the reason why that seems smart. It doesn't create, produce fully formed believers. And so what you want to do, so for instance, like if you're going to be a, a verse-by-verse exposition, you know, going deep into the Word is the primary reason why our worship services exist. Then complement that with application in your life groups where you are studying, you know, maybe along the same things that you're studying in the sermon, but the emphasis is on Applying the word in our lives. And so, okay, so what? We know what the word says. How are we going to live this this week? Yeah. Or maybe your purpose in your life group needs to be how do we, um, or your Sunday schools, how do we draw new people into community? And so we're trying to use it for a missional sort of uh, relationship. But complementing the worship service with the purpose of your groups. And then once you've defined why your groups exist, and, and I'm always asked, can different groups in the church have different purposes? By and large, I would say no. We ought to have one broad overarching purpose for our groups in our church. And then here's the key, finding leaders that match the purpose of the group. Okay. So here's what will happen. Let's say you want the groups to focus on applying the content of the sermon. Mm-hmm. But you select, a, because we think, well, it needs to be a teacher. And so we go select a teacher who likes to lecture for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, verse by verse through the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's what we set, select for our group. What will happen is you'll create a church within a church whose purposes run counter to the church. Mm -hmm. 
You see what I'm saying? I like they're, yeah. they're pushing in a different direction. Well, one of two things will happen. Either at the end of the year, because you're asking for one thing and the group is delivering another thing, you or the group leader will pull your hair out and be frustrated. That's the, actually the better solution. The worst solution is after a year or two, they, they've created a small church within the larger church that pushes against the overall purpose of the church on the whole. Mm-hmm. And that's the more dangerous possibility. And so um, I, I, hear me when I say this. No leader is better than the wrong leader. And in churches, we are constantly rushing to get leaders for empty positions that we often put bad leaders or, and not even bad leaders. I want to be careful here. It's not that they're bad. It's that they're not fit for the purpose that whatever position we're asking for demands. All right. So right. You, you want to make sure you find the purpose who, the, the person who fits the purpose for the position that you're trying to fill. There's some, an, there's some alliteration for you. The person with the purpose and the position. Uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, that's the thing with the, with the group mentality, trying to define why does our, so you've got to back up. And, and by the way, how do you define why the worship service exists and why the, the group's ministry exists? You clarify the purpose of the church on the whole. What is our mission? What is our vision? What's our strategy? And don't try and make it too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> I, I like to say your mission is where you're going and your vision, uh, your strategy is how you get there. So right. at Brainerd, I'll just give you Brainerd. Our Dude. mission at Brainerd is to help those who are far from God become committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're trying to do. Our strategy is to deliver the word, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. And so those are the three things we constantly do to try and accomplish our mission. And then we have what we call a, a, a vision, which is not necessarily necessary in your church, but this is the short-term thing that we're trying to reach toward mm-hmm. uh, that's, that helps us fulfill our mission. So we're trying to reach 1% of the Chattanooga Metro in worship at a, Chattanooga, at a Brainerd campus or church plant every weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, that's quite a few years away yet. We're not going to reach sure. it. But, but we're trying to help those who are ultimately what our overarching strategy is, is to help those who are far from God become committed followers of Jesus Christ by delivering the word, discipling the believer, deploying the church. That's our mission. That's our strategy. So if that's the case, then what we do with our worship service needs to be built with that mission and strategy in mind, and then our group's ministry fits in under the worship service because the worship service is the priority for us. It's the front door of the church. So the group's ministry then slides in under that strategy, and we're then trying to find leaders who fit the fulfillment of that mission and strategy. I love it. It makes a lot of sense. I think the other thing that we would want to add to that is equipping those people, giving them the right tools that they Absolutely. need um, to, to accomplish those goals. So uh, in the churches that I've led before, now we're I'm just four months on the ground here, but we have done exactly what you're talking about there, where the service and the small groups complement one another. My opinion is that most often the most theologically trained person in the church is the pastor. And so the teaching of the Sunday morning should be about, like, the doctrines, teaching what the Bible says, whereas the smaller groups are for applying that truth, and that can be done by people who listen to the sermons and, and have the right tools, and they can work together to apply these, um, these truths that you are teaching through the Bible. So they really complement one another, and they're strong in that manner, how you're, how you're kind of pushing— one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of churches are set up the opposite way. They, they have the smaller groups are going to teach the doctrines, and the larger group, um, the, the big worship service, is going to be all evangelism. And so you bring your lost friends there. They're going to get saved. Then you put them into these small groups to um, learn the doctrines. And, man, the, the church is just not structured that way. It's not equipped that way. It's not what do you call it, Uh, uh, personnel does not line up that way. You've got people in those small groups, leading those small groups, that don't actually know 
maybe they know the basics of the doctrines, but they don't know how they fit together and how they work mm-hmm. together, those sort of things. And then you've got the person with a doctorate up there giving, you know, the basic gospel truth, which that should be included, I agree, but that's the whole purpose, you know? And so I feel like what you're saying there is to rethink the the whole strategy and how it all fits together. A well, lot and of here's, pastors aren't thinking at all how the First of all, pastors are not by nature strategic thinkers. The majority of them are not, right? That's that's the truth. And that's why we have this podcast. Well, it is. I mean, but pastors are shepherds, right? We're people focused. We're not spreadsheet mm-hmm. focused. Right. Though though I tend to be spreadsheet focused. I'm a, a spreadsheets are my love language. I right? think all but three of us really are. We are, which makes us sort of an anomaly and we're mm-hmm. unusual in that regard and we need to be honest about that. We're unusual in that regard. Um, but having said that, the the good news for every pastor that I know of is there's no such thing that I'm aware of of, of as a pastor without strategic thinkers in their church. And this is key because farmers, small business owners, even teachers have to be strategic thinkers in laying out what they're trying to accomplish and how they're going about it. Right. Every church, a church of 35 people has got one or two strategic thinkers in it. Sure. So if strategic thinking is not your bag and you've been listening to this thinking, Oh, my head's swimming. I don't know what to do. I'm, I feel ill-equipped. That's okay. Remember, all you're trying to do is answer two questions up front. Where are we going and how are we getting there, right? What's our mission? What's our strategy? It's, it's, it's Think of it as a map. What's the destination and what's the path from point A to point B? And then get find two or three people in your church who are strategic thinkers. They're small business owners. They're educators or whatever the case might be. Ask them if they'll meet with you for a series of meetings and say, okay, guys, here's what I'm trying to do. I want to help we, this is our mission. This is what we're, where we're going. This is our strategy. This is how we're trying to get there. Can you, or, or maybe all you have is just a big idea. Say, would you help me develop a mission and a strategy and how we're then going to lay out what worship looks, needs to look like and what life groups or Sunday school or, or missional home communities needs to look like to supplement and complement that strategy and let them help frame that out while you're providing the spiritual guidance and direction. And I'm telling you, it's, it's not that difficult and it can be done in every church. Absolutely. I think the other, you know, we've talked about it before. One of the surprising resources for that specific topic is Breaking Growth Barriers, uh, a book that I found was very helpful for different size congregations and kind of formulating that exact thing that you're talking about. It walks you through exactly if you're a church running less than 100. Think through these things, and then you as a leader, it gives you that strategy. The other resource, of course, is is our podcast. I, I, I'm not joking. Like, this is one of the reasons we have this podcast is to talk through the strategic, the spreadsheet side of pastoring, because all three of us are just kind of like geeked out about that. We love that kind of stuff, and we love sharing it. The other thing yeah, I would say, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other thing is, too, when I say that most pastors are not strategic thinkers, most pastors are fascinated by strategy. We're, pastors are to strategy what my youngest daughter is to shoes. Like she's never seen one she didn't like, right? Right, And we have a tendency to grab the newest strategy that comes off the shelf, and then we want to apply it in our church. Let me say this, Josh. That you apply strategy is a little bit more important than what strategy you apply. Mm -hmm. And fidelity to the strategy matters more. I want to be very careful here, but, but listen to me. Fidelity to strategy I think matters more than the content of the strategy. I totally get what you're saying. Like, pick a course and run it. And, and run it. So, yeah. like, let, let's think about Rick Warren and Saddleback, right? What's he been doing for 40 years now? 
Purpose driven. Five. He's been running the stupid thousand. diamond, the baseball yep. diamond, right? It's the dumbest mm-hmm. thing. It's 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 so dumb. It's brilliant. I mean, it's just right. this goofy little baseball diamond, and he's just trying to walk people around. One hundred one, two hundred one, three hundred one, four hundred one, forever. The the thing is, so many of us in our churches, we grab a strategy. We say, all right, this is the next big thing, and we apply it for two or three years, and then it, the church doesn't blow up, and we go, ah, oh, they didn't know what they're talking about, and then we find the mm-hmm. next strategy. And Pick something that fits in your context, that works with your theology, and run for the next twenty or thirty years down that path. Run it, and and run one of the it. we've all seen this where where guy jumps from strategy to strategy, wears out the leadership, stresses everybody out. It, it makes questioning pastoral leadership um, like they never know what they're doing. They're always switching things. So pick a pick a lane, run the thing out, and I would say just get some coaching. And I'm talking about just other pastors in your area. Talk through it together. Get that strategy guy or lady in your church and talk through that stuff. Great stuff. That's all the time we have for today. We'll probably have to do a whole other episode on strategy, which I think would be fascinating. (laughs) That'd be good. Uh, Yeah, let's nerd out on it. We need Sam on that one. Of course. Thanks so much for listening today. You can subscribe to us at est.church or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you again, and we'll chat with you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.